0: Uh, This morning for the next few minutes, uh, and I say the next few minutes, which means absolutely nothing. uh, Because it may be a few minutes or it may be a whole lot. But I want to talk to you about the amazing incarnation. Uh, I'm going to read some of my notes and I'm going to read some scripture. And then I'm going to read some of the popular sayings and beliefs of the early church fathers. Um, Because I believe that uh, we do have the scripture, but um, I think that if we can go back in church history and see things that were believed and taught and felt, then we, are, we live 2,000 plus years removed from these events happening. And yet they carry incredible significance uh, for our life and time today because such is the mystery of, of godliness and such is the mystery of the incarnations that had happened over 2,000 years ago and, and still yet it bears significance. Now we know Jesus was not born on the 25th of December. In fact, uh, many theologians believe that He was probably born sometime in the summer months. Um, however, um, we do know that based on winter solstice, which is a good day for me because that means it's the darkest least uh, darkest day of the year. But the day after winter solstice, the days get longer and brighter. I'm looking forward to dark at 9 o'clock. I don't like dark at 5 o'clock. You may like that, and that's okay if you do. I don't like, I don't like winter. In fact, I told my wife whenever uh, we choose to and can afford to, we're going to move to a place where we visit winter and it's not imposed upon us for three or four months. I don't like it. I don't like cold. Uh, but it, yes, it does. it is the winter solstice, but to me it just speaks of the, the going down of an old day and the rising of a new day. So I think it's a perfect time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So in a few days, obviously, we're all going to celebrate Christmas, or many of us, hopefully most of us will. And for us Christians, it's more than a time of gift giving and a time of sharing with friends and family. And yet with every passing year, and you saw it. But every passing year, the, you know, they turn the clock back on when you start shopping. You can't hardly get through Thanksgiving anymore without people getting ready to go beat themselves up over getting to the best deals in the world. You know, so it's funny that at 12 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day, we're all sitting around the table, and we bless our food, and we're so thankful for everything. And by 3 o'clock, we're ready to punch everybody in the face that took our parking spot at Walmart and Target. So we can get a gift to give which is supposed to be signifying you know, the gift that the father gave and then the gifts that the wise men brought uh, to, to toddler Jesus more likely. He was not a baby when they brought those gifts. He was probably two or three years old. But we celebrate it at Christmas. Um, but in the hustle and bustle of buying and, in, 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 and feeling the pressure to buy and the pressure to perform we forget the meaning of Christmas sometimes. In fact, I, for many years I really enjoyed Thanksgiving more than Christmas because to me Thanksgiving was like Christmas but without the commercialism. You know, you just kind of sat around and fellowshiped and had fun. Eat you know, played football or didn't play football, watched some television and, and sit around. We used to, my, And my family used to play cards. Uh, the Yoakums are <laughs> famous, D- Diane, aren't we, for playing cards and board games and just time together. And you didn't have to worry about who bought whom what. But these days Christmas is all about what did you get, what did you not get. And the whole day can be ruined if you didn't get what you expected. And we forget that the reason that we celebrate Christmas has nothing to do with what we're going to get but with what was given to us over 2,000 years ago. And it would be good for us in this season, this is not revelatory, this is just good information for us to refocus, recalibrate, and maybe even repurpose this, this Christmas uh, to mean something more than just what did we get and could we afford to give everything that they wanted. When I think back, when I think back over the Christmases that I celebrated, and, and this is with my family, with my, with my mother and father growing up, I remember two specific times that I received a gift and I remember the gift. And one of them was I received the first set of drums that I ever got. And the second one was the first real set of drums that I ever got, which was a set of pearls that are still in my, my basement. My son plays them. He used to play them on the daily. Now he plays them maybe once or twice, you know, every other week. But they're still there. Besides that, I cannot tell you a single thing that I ever got in, on Christmas Day as a gift as a boy growing up. You know what I do remember? I remember my Uncle David coming over and my dad and we'd go out and play basketball. I do. I remember getting Christmas PJs the night before and we'd all, you know, uh, bundle up together because we never lived in a house with insulation. You know, we just always froze to death. So, But that night, Dad would get some extra logs and throw in in the fireplace and we'd sleep around the wood fireplace getting ready for Christmas. Those are the things that I remember. I remember my grandfather riding his moped because my grandfather, he liked to drink a lot and decided he liked to drink so much that drink was more important than license. And so he drove his moped 20 miles one way. To come and visit us, and we'd hear him coming, pa 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 pa. Pa pa-pa's here, and we'd go out and run and meet him. We didn't know then; we just thought it was cool that he had a, you know, a, a little. Murder. We thought it was a motorcycle. did you know, it's because he had a habit. We didn't care, and all six of us would go and pile up on him when he got there. And then my 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 dad's sister, Sherry, and Charlie would come, and aunt and uncle, and they would always give us a five dollar bill, and it's the greatest thing ever. Not because it was five dollars, but because we knew when they showed up, it meant we got some money. By and large, my memories as a child, the point I'm making is not what I received. It was literally the time spent together. This was a time when you're not working, everything else doesn't have your mind, you're literally focused on this one thing, and this one thing is togetherness. The meaning for Christmas, the unseen, largely unknown God would condescend, choose to be wrapped in human flesh, And not separate from us, but as one of us. The baby did not glow in the dark, and yet he was the light of the world. But what exactly did this birth mean? Did you know that when Jesus was born, he did not have a halo? There's, they're cute pictures, and I love them, and, they, and, and, I, and maybe they depict something more glorious than what's seen with the natural eye. But when those shepherds look in, in, the, in the feeding trough that that holy, spotless Lamb of God was laying in, they did not see a halo. This was human flesh, eight pounds of God laying right there. He was very human. He did not ultimately become God later in life. Some, some theologians think that, that erroneously, mistakenly, that when he came up out of the Jordan River and, and the father said, this is my beloved son, that that's when he received sonship. That's not the case because the Bible is very clear. In the beginning was the Word, the logos of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him and for him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I'm going to read more about that in a minute. But he didn't glow in the dark, and yet he was the light of the world. But what exactly did this birth mean? Was this a baby who would become a man and become like God? Was he with God and one with the Father from the beginning? Was he separate from the Father and joined to the Father only sometime during his ministry? If so, what are the implications of this birth, and what about this Emmanuel exactly? What about this mysterious incarnation? By the way, the word incarnation means the embodiment of God in person. The embodiment of God in person. It's the Latin from incarnation, and it means the act of being made flesh, or to be made flesh. The old English puts it this way, a person or thing that is the embodiment of something, the quality of something. And so the the mystery of the incarnation was we never saw God. This is simple. You've heard this before. We did not know what God looked like. We saw glimpses of him, but we did not see the complete, total picture of God until finally we look down in this eight-little-pound baby full of whiny flesh. We look down and see, oh, this is what God looks like. And not only was he going to teach us what God looked like, he was going to teach us what we were always supposed to look like. Jesus was born as the embodiment of the unseen and relatively unknown God God. Especially God the father man's maker was made man that he listen to this ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast That the bread might hunger The fountain might thirst That the light would sleep And the way be tired on its journey That the truth might be accused of false witness and the teacher be beaten with whips That the foundation would be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, and that the healer might be wounded, that life might die, according to Augustine of Hippo. I'm gonna read it again. Man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger and the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey. That truth might be accused of false witness, that the teacher would be beaten with whips, the foundation would be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. 1 John, or I beg your pardon, St. John chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. Now, this is not one of the synoptic Gospels. In fact, many scholars believe that John was written much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by and large, carry the same, uh, the, the same thread throughout the things that Jesus did. And yet, John, uh, there are many things that are written in John that are not written in any of the other Gospels. I like the Gospel of John. In fact, uh, when people ask me where should I start reading when they want to read the Bible, I say start in John. Always start in John. It's amazing to me that uh, the one, the Bible in John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he identified himself. Again and again and again. It's not that way in any, other, in any other book. He's not called that in any other book. But in John he defines himself and characterizes himself not as John the disciple or John the apostle. But the one, the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved. It would be that same one that in those times, you know, they didn't have necessarily chairs and tables. When they would lie at a meal, they would have couches or cushions, and the table wouldn't be very high, and they'd they'd sort of lounge as they ate together. And it would be during that lounging place that John would lay his head up against Jesus' breast and say, teach me, O great, teach me, teacher. John was probably most likely uh, the youngest of all the disciples, probably one of the sons of Zebedee that tried to call thunder down out of heaven. And in fact, he was one that when Peter found out the way that he was going to die, he asked Jesus, well, what about John? And And Jesus said to to Peter, what do you care about it? What's it to you if I allow him to stay until I return? It would be this same John, although it's not not highly contested anymore. It used to be contested, but I believe that it's true. It would be the same one that would wind up on the Isle of Patmos, which Patmos means the place of my killing or the place of my dying. And on the place of his dying, the one that laid his head on the breast of Jesus would hear the very heartbeat of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ and write the book of Revelation. He was the only of the first 12 apostles that was not martyred. That most likely was not martyred. He was left there to die and probably died of natural causes there on the island. John. John starts his book this way. If you read Matthew and Mark they give the genealogy of Jesus. All all 41 generations they give the the genealogy of Jesus coming through Mary and coming through Joseph and and the lineage of David. But John starts this way. In the beginning was the Word. This is the New American Standard. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when was the Word with God? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe that through all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. By the way, John The Revelator, John the Apostle, was most likely one of the disciples of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist said to his disciples, There comes one after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch. Go and follow him. I must decrease. He must increase. He was actually talking to one of his disciples, John the Apostle, who was most likely a teenager when he chose to leave John the Baptist to go follow after Jesus. Verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The King James says, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Yet as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In verse 14, I love this, an incarnation, and the Word became flesh. The logos, the, the, the expression of God, the full, uh, the full mind of God was made flesh. It, the Bible says later in the Scriptures that in Him, Jesus, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means everything that God was, every perfect expression of God was seen manifested in that man, Jesus Christ who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, who literally never had a problem with a sinner and did not want to condemn anybody. In fact, John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have life everlasting. But 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He literally sent His Son to say, Hey boys, this is what I look like. I don't look like what they said. They saw bits and pieces. They saw a glimmer. Here is exactly what I look like. This is exactly the way that I act. This is exactly the way that I speak. This, he moves on my behalf. When you see him, you see me. He didn't look anything like what they thought he looked like. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full Of grace and truth. Full of what? Grace and truth. Grace means unmerited favor. It also means divine enabling. He was full of unmerited favor, and he was willing to give us that amazing unmerited favor. Unmerited, unearned, favor that you don't deserve, and you get it anyways. That's what grace is. And truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He comes after me, Has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness have all we received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now listen, the law came through Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, but grace and truth, there's a contrast between the law and grace and truth. Now I'm not Lynn Hiles, and I don't just want to stand up here and preach the contrast between law and grace and truth, but there, Jesus, there John here is is drawing a distinct contrast, saying, look, you have the law, you understand the law, and some of you obey the law, although not none of you obey all the law, and that came through Moses, but grace and truth, comes through Jesus, which is to say if you already knew the truth, Jesus would not have had to come. But everything that Moses gave you in the law and, 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 and in the Old Covenant was not what God was wanting to manifest. Grace and truth, the reality of who Father really was, was not about a works program that Moses presented, but it was about grace and truth that came through the perfect expression of the heart of the Father, which is His Son, Jesus. Amen. no one has seen God at any time. This is funny. As you can read in your Bible that Moses spoke to a burning bush and there's times that the Bible says that God spoke to man face to face and now John is saying no one has seen God at any time. What he's really saying and trying to convey is no one knew what he looked like until Jesus came. Moses did not know what he looked like. Moses only saw the backside of God, the hinder parts. He made his goodness to pass before him, but he was hidden in a cleft in the rock, and he didn't see a complete picture. Abraham didn't see a complete picture. If he did, he would not have had to have faith. Because the Bible says, by faith, Abraham, he left his father and left his house and went and did what God told. By faith, faith is the what? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So Abraham didn't see the truth. He believed for the truth. And he knew that one day it would be manifested through his loins, through his dead loins and his wife's dead womb that was going to come to seed. That would, that would change the world. But he never saw that. He only saw it in part. And Moses only saw in part. And David, the great psalmist, only saw in part. And the major or minor prophets, they only saw in part. But when Jesus come, when that which is perfect came, all that which was in part was done away with. A little ahead of myself. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. My God, what a statement. I want to read this exact same these exact same scriptures from the Passion Translation because I love the way that it that it that it translates some of these scriptures and maybe shine a new light. And then we'll talk for a few minutes about the 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 amazing incarnation. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. Now, the King James and the new NIV and the new American Standard, they all call him the Word. And the Word is from the Greek, the, the Logos, the full expression of God. But instead of having to translate, 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 they get right to the point and says, In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was God and yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things, for nothing has existed apart from him. So Jesus always was, he just did not manifest in the flesh until father had had enough of being misrepresented and said, son, go show them what I'm really like. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things, for nothing has existed apart from him. Life came into being because of him, for his life is the light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that burst through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named Grace, a messenger named John, a messenger named Truth. For he came to be a witness, to point the way to the light of life, and to help everyone believe." John was not that light, but he came to show who he is, for he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about light. For the light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered into the very world he created, and yet the world was unaware. I just want to put, put this here for you. In the, in the original coming of Christ, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. What if in the return of Christ, he's already come into his own and we didn't, he didn't come the way we expected, so none of us notice it? Just chew on it for a minute. Not necessarily revelatory, but something you might want to think about. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. Am I talking from 2,000 years ago, or am I talking from today? Because it sounds like today. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. And it reminds me of Jacob. Remember when Jacob put his head on the stone, and and he had the dream of the ladder that ascended into heaven? The Bible says that he saw angels of God doing what? ascending and descending in that order, not descending and ascending. If they were descending and ascending, then they started there and came here. The fact that they started here and went there means that whether you see it or not, the great heavenly host is all around you already. He saw them ascending and descending. And then he woke up and he said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. One of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. He came into his own and his own didn't receive him because they didn't even recognize him. The one that Moses and Abraham and Joshua and the prophets and the psalmist, major and minor prophets prophesied about, he's there in the flesh and they have no clue who he is. You know why? Here's the the key for you. Because they judge him after the flesh. And after the flesh, he was the son of Mary and the supposed son of Joseph. And if you judge him or people after the flesh, you will always miss the blessing that is in what their true identity is because, because things of the flesh are judged after the flesh. But things of the spirit are to be judged after the spirit. And if you'll stop judging people based in the flesh and what they did in the flesh and see them as they really are, the spirit man that God made them, then we can really unify and appreciate and create a culture of honor where we walk together and submit to one another in the Lord versus judging after the flesh. Well, you won't believe what he did. You're not a human doing. You are a human being. And you came into being, according to this, because the living expression spoke you into being. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made, including you. So, if we're going to judge people after the flesh, we're going to miss God's best. They judged Jesus after the flesh and missed the fact that their redemption was walking right in front of them. Sometimes I have to wonder how many times we miss an ultimate blessing because we judge the people that are with us every day after the flesh instead of judging them after the spirit. And why did God send this person into my life? For he was, I'm sorry, he came to the very people he created, but to those that should have recognized him, they didn't receive him. But those who embraced him, listen, Those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. My goodness. He was not born by joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but he was born of God, the amazing incarnation, born of God. And so the living expression became a man. And lived among us, not because he had to, but because he chose to. He chose not only to be among us, he chose to have his title and his name be called. For, for the, you shall have a child and you will call his name God with us, Emmanuel. It was a phrase that was transliterated, transliterated in the Greek as a name. His name will be called. Not only will he be God with us, he wants his name to be called the God that's with his people. My God, this is how I want to be identified, the God that's with us. And how could he be with us except to show us what he was like? And how could he show us what he's like except that he condescended to the very realm that we were assigned to and said, Look, I'm just like you. I'm flesh and blood just like you. Even when he rose from the dead, he looked at his disciples and said, You think I'm a spirit? A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Jesus was not counter to the nature of the Father. Jesus was the expression of the Father. And this says that Jesus came overflowing with grace and with truth, which means the bosom of the Father was overflowing with grace and truth. The boys back in the Old Testament, they completely and utterly missed it. He was never an angry God waiting to do whatever he could to get back to suffice his wrath. No, he was always overflowing with grace and truth. And because they missed it he decided they ain't going to get it right I'm going to go myself and let them see what I'm really like and he is the full expression of the father overflowing with grace with unmerited favor and with divine enabling and with truth and the truth is your sons and daughters of God the truth is the voice that's in the garden is still calling come and walk with me in the cool of the eve let me tell you what my thoughts let me hear your thoughts let's create together that's what the voice of truth says The lie says I have to do something to be accepted. The truth says you were born into a family, and the moment that you take those goggles off and see yourself the way that you're supposed to see yourself and others, you will walk in full fellowship and unbroken communion with the Father. That's what Jesus came to offer. He did not come to offer a key to a mansion in the sky. He came to offer the way back into perfect communion with the Father. And I hope you get your house. In fact, I'm hoping to buy one next year. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us, and we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. John taught the truth about him when he announced to the people, he's the one, set your hearts on him. I told you he would come after me even though he ranks far above me before he, because he existed before I was even born. And now out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we receive grace, heaped upon more grace. I love the scripture that on down the New Testament where it says where sin did abound. Where there was a whole bunch of sin, there's a whole lot more grace. The Bible, the King James says, and where sin abounded, grace much more did abound. Which means sin was a molehill, but grace is a mountain. And in the shadow of that mountain you don't even see sin There's so much grace and so much truth pouring from the bosom of the father that you would lose your sin consciousness If you ever became God conscious. and if you become God conscious You'll see him as he really is and then seeing him as he really is You'll see yourself as you really are and when you see yourself as you really are You'll see your brothers and sisters as they really are and when you do all of that You can love God as you love yourself and you can love yourself and then you can love your neighbor as you love yourself Moses gave us the law, verse 17. But Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. And now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is my god what a mouthful didn't you say you knew the guy that wrote the passion translation i'd like to meet that guy cuz he's got some he he spoke at your church the village up in ears No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. And now he and he alone, I'd like to add, he and he alone unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. How? By word and by deed. He said, I only do the things that I see of my father. And he said, I only speak those things which I hear from my father. The living expression, the Greek is logos, logos, which has a rich and varied background in both Greek philosophy and Judaism. The Greeks equated logos with the highest principle of cosmic order. God's logos in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and redemption. In the New Testament, we have this new unique view of God given to us by John, which signifies the presence of God himself in the flesh. Some have translated this rich term, word. In the beginning was the word. It could also be translated, don't miss this, the message or the blueprint. It would be, it is, if it is true to say, according to John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word, then it's also true to say in the beginning was the expression of God. It's also true to say in the beginning was the blueprint of God. And the blueprint became flesh, my God. When we read it this way, we don't just read uh, a a Bible term that we understand in Christianese that Jesus is the Word. We say, well, if he's a blueprint, then he can't just be a manifestation of God. He must also be a manifestation of what we should look like. Joe, if I I bring blueprints, Joe builds hotels, and he's built for most of his life, and now he's a commercial uh, superintendent. And Joe, if I bring you a set of blueprints in your job trailer, which I know you've got, they're not there to look pretty. They're not there so you can invite people over and say, look at this wonderful blueprint. You're not going to believe it. They're there because they represent something that is going to be built after this pattern. Which is to say, if, if in the beginning was the Word and in the beginning was the blueprint, then in the beginning was also the pattern. And if he's a blueprint and a pattern, that must mean that the kingdom that he's building may not be about sticks and stones, but it might be about flesh and bones. It might be about sons and daughters. The kingdom that he's building looks just like his son, and his son is a son that had perfect, uninterrupted communion with the father. The kingdom of God is not, it's not about observing laws and it's not about receiving a house. It is literally about receiving back what was lost in the garden, which was perfect, uninterrupted communion with the Father. And that's what Jesus came to show us was possible in everything that he said and in everything that he did. Jesus Christ is the eternal word, the creative word, and the word made visible. He is the divine self-expression of all that God is, of all that God contains, and is revealed in incarnated flesh. Just as we express ourselves in words, God has perfectly expressed himself in Christ. Literally, Jesus is everything God ever wanted to say about himself. I had someone recently message me about uh, um, some things in the Bible, and and we've all gone through this. I remember as a little boy thinking, man, you know, is God really mean? You know, because it looks like a whole lot of times he he says, go and kill the men and the women and the children and the babies. Don't even leave. I mean, murder babies. I'm going to challenge you for a minute. I just want you to just accept the challenge. If you, read, if you read Scripture, there, there are Scriptures where you can justify slavery. Did you know that? Listen, just, just throw me a mercy yes, even if you don't really believe that. Did you know there are Scriptures that can justify slavery? There are, there, there are Scriptures that can justify a whole lot of ugly things. Uh, and so what we have to do is we have to see who the perfect expression of God was and use Him as our filter and our lens to even read the Scripture. Because the Bible says that all of the law and the prophets pointed to or spoke about Him, and so we use Him as the as our, as our uh, what is the uh, um, as, our rose, as our as our uh, as our master key, as our as our key symbol. As if we we're reading a map, we can only read it with Jesus being the filter through which we read all of Scripture. If we don't do that, then we can make a whole lot of bad things. We can make the Bible say anything we want to say. Jesus would even say these words. Jesus said, you've heard me say this before. Jesus would say, you've heard it said by those of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, let me tell you who said that, Moses. And you want me to tell you who he said the inspiration came from? God. And yet Jesus would say, but I say unto you, and literally is going to contrast what he says versus what Moses said. Now that's a big thing maybe to us. It was huge to a nation of people who had every law and all their morals upon, built upon the foundation of the laws and statutes that Moses put into place thousands of years before Jesus came. And so he would say, you have heard it said by them of old time, an eye for an eye. And if you stop there and you never get to the New Testament and you don't read the life of Jesus, you would believe and be able to make it a biblical excuse that if somebody hits me, I better hit them back. Or whatever. If someone takes from me, then it gives me the right to take from them. If someone punches me, it gives you the right to punch them. If someone does whatever, I but I can render evil for evil. But Jesus is but I say unto you, but is a contraction. It's a word that says... It, You've heard it said this, but here's the change. But I say, if a man smites you on the cheek, turn to him other, you're, also, uh, you're other also. It's not what Moses said. It's completely and utterly different than what Moses said. Is Jesus contradicting his own word? No, he's given us a clear expression, a clear view of what father is really like. Look, you got to think when the children of Israel come out of, come out of Egypt, they had lived in Egypt for 400 plus years. Which means all the things Egyptian ha- were a part of their society. They understood things. They understood worship because they understood. I mean they had, the, they, had the, they had what they had passed down through their fathers and their grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-greats going all the way back to Abraham. But they, were, they, they weren't reading Bibles. That wasn't going to come until much later. you you got to remember that Exodus had to do with Moses. He was going to be the one to write these books. So before Exodus happened they didn't have no book called Exodus. So, they, they, so they, they were given laws to kind of teach them how to behave versus the society they had lived in with these crazy gods. And probably a lot of what they learned in Egyptian culture crept into the early beliefs of this place that was not the church, but that was old Israel. And, and if, we don't, if, if, if we read the text outside of context, then we create pretexts, and we can create a pretext for anything we want. And people do it all the time. The first thing I tell anybody when they argue with me about uh, the Old Testament is, look, I'm not Jewish. It wasn't written to me. The law was never given to me. That most of the time shuts them. Of course, it offends a lot of people because people are scripturally ignorant. And they think that the Ten Commandments were given to everybody. The Ten Commandments were not given to everybody. The Ten Commandments were literally given to Israel, the Jewish people, and the Jewish people only. Now, are there good things in the Ten? Yes, of course. You should not kill people. That doesn't mean go out and kill. It just means the Ten Commandments were not given to you. Jesus was given to you. And the Holy Spirit was given to you. He said, that, that He said, my law was written upon stone tablets, but no longer would that be the case. But in the new covenant, I'll write my law in their hearts. Which means the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that was contained in that body of Jesus. When Jesus. That's why Jesus had to die and ascend. When he ascended, he sent the same Spirit that was in him and only in him into all the earth and said, Now you can be free and be empowered to live as the sons and daughters that you always were. So you don't have to worry about reading laws and say this is what I should or shouldn't do. Oh no, Holy Spirit is inside of you, directing you and pointing you. And if you make a mistake, you know that's not the right thing. It's not you're an ugly, guilty thing. No, you're His children. When my, kids don't make them, when my kids make a mistake and they make them often, I don't look at them and go, you are the stupidest, dumbest little thing I've ever seen. I just wish you hadn't been born. If you're a parent that says that, shame on you. You should, you should, you should be horsewhipped. Just kidding. Cut that part out the door. I forgot that we're podcasting this. No! Yeah, we're not all yeah. It's funny. This is funny. Jacob uh, years ago, I'll never forget this. Jacob and um I can't remember what he did. He had done something. He he had done something I told him not to do. I don't remember. It might have been like turn on the TV when we told him there was no TV time. Anyways, uh, you know Jacob was he was real proud about you know knowing that we 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 do Bible study around the around the table and and uh, I would do stories dramatizations of Bible stories at night. So they loved it. And Jacob was always one to win the Bible trivia that I gave and everything. And so Jacob gets in trouble and Isaac yells, "I'll never." He said, "Hey, Dad, punish him Old Testament style. I'm sure he'll appreciate the irony." Punish him Old Testament style. I said, God boy, yeah. Because Old Testament style, if your son disobeys, come up here, Tandon. Tandon's easy one. Where is his, Where is Tandon? They're busy. Oh, really? Tandon is in trouble. See, he's gonna get busted Old Testament style after church. He's going. You could take your kid outside the city walls, pick up rocks and stone them until they bled to death, crushing their bones. Now, that is Scripture. How many people think that Jesus ever had an interest in that? If a woman committed adultery against her husband, whatever that looked like, you, could take, you were literally, according to the law, you take her outside the city walls, you pick up stones, and you throw them until it crushes her bones and crushes her skulls and she lays there and bleeds to death, and you take pride in doing it. In fact, that is the very thing that the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they brought the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, which means the same day, and throw her at Jesus' feet. Moses says in the law that she is to be stoned to death. What do you say? Jesus kneels down and writes in the dirt. And then he looks up and says, I tell you what, boys, whichever one of you has no sin, you get to cast the first stone. And you know what happened one by one. They they drop the rocks and they walk away. Now, she didn't see him walk away. Until Jesus kneels down in the dirt and writes again, and then he says, uh, probably as, as as an unveiling of a truth, "Where are your accusers?" She finally looks up because her face was in there, and she said, "Oh, I have none." He literally says, "I'm just erase, I just erased the sentence that the old covenant pronounced on your life." When people are caught in, in acts of shame or whatever, for whatever, most of the reason that, or most of the time when people do things, we judge them based on the what and we don't have a clue of the why. And if you don't, have a, if you don't, if you don't know the why behind why people do stuff, if you really don't, it's probably be better for you not to insert anything, including your thoughts, your ideas, or what you think should or shouldn't happen. It'd be better for you to, you know, zip it. If you understand the why... Then it's a whole lot easier to say, oh, that makes sense. This person was abused, or this, this happened to this person. And they're responding from a place of hurt, not because they think that they're self-righteous and can get by with anything. They're responding from a place of insecurity and hurt. That's why they do the things they do. And so when you, when you come to that place, then you can speak to that insecurity, heal that person, and not stone them to death, nor stone the other people to death. As he looks up and says, I have none. And Jesus says these words, neither do I condemn you. Because the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 3, 17. You know what she does? She looks in, for the first time, she looked into the eyes of a rabbi. I mean, it's very telling that they knew where she was committing adultery. Probably a couple of them might have visited her house a time or six. She was caught in the very, I mean, they, they sprung a trap on this woman. Isn't that crazy? They didn't care anything for her and they didn't care anything for Jesus. They literally just wanted to trap Him. And so they throw him at it, and he says, "Word, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And his go and sin no more was not, now if you do this again, no, it was, hey, I'm going to free you from feeling like you have to do this because you're looking in my eyes, and you're 100% approved, and you've never touched me. You're just laying at my feet crying. You didn't have to do something to me to be rewarded or to be paid. I'm going to give you the fullness of grace just because you're my daughter. And for the first time, she looked in the eyes of a man that didn't want to take advantage of her and didn't want anything from her, but he came to give something to her. And what he came was to give life and life more abundantly. Here's life more abundantly. Go, daughter. You don't have to live this lifestyle anymore. Go. Sin means missing the mark, missing the highest order. You don't have to miss the mark. Here's the mark. You're a perfectly loved and righteous daughter. So stand up. That's the mark. You don't have to live below that anymore. That's what he said. Jesus was and is the only perfect expression of the Father. It did not come in the Old Testament. All of what was spoken and written, uh, we don't throw the Old Testament away. Don't mishear me. We don't throw that away. No, because we have valuable lessons that point to Jesus. But it also helps us to understand human reasoning whenever they're coming to understand. Of I heard, I think it was, it might have been Brad Jersak, Mark, you might know. He said that the, the Scripture is fluid. The, the Scripture, it, 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 and it's polyphonic, which is to say it has many voices. But all the voices point to the one who is the voice. If you hear me preach today and, and Christian next week and Mark or, or, or Canby or Dave or who are Rich or whoever next week, none of us are going to sound exactly the same, but we're all going to point to the same voice. Does that make sense? And the one voice and the one ex- expression, the perfect expression, was Jesus who came full of grace and truth. That is what the incarnation was about. It was Father saying, they have no idea what I look like. Man has been on the earth now for thousands of years and they think that I'm retributive in nature. God is not retributive in nature. He doesn't get his feelings hurt, and so he needs to get you back for stuff. We do that in our insecurities. Father's not like that. He's not retributive in nature, he's restorative in nature, always. God was not punishing Jesus so that he could satisfy some wrath that he had. That's, that's, that's extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. Somebody go find, I'll give you $1,000 to go find the full cup of wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. It ain't there. You know how I know because I heard it preached for years until something dinged in my head and said, why don't you go study that? It might not say that. And not only does it not say it, it never comes close to saying that. The closest thing to anything about that is God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world in himself. He wasn't abusing Jesus for us. He was in Jesus tasting death for every man so that he could also imply life or or, or bring the implications of life upon every man. That is scriptural. But we think that God was ticked because of all the stuff that people did, and he needed a whipping boy. So let me give him Jesus. I'm going to beat him up. Then, ha ah, now I don't have to be full of wrath anymore. I was really, really, really ticked. But now they got to beat my son up. I'm not mad anymore. I mean, that's not even logical, let alone biblical. That's extra biblical. It is not the case. It's not scriptural. Jesus was the one and only full expression of the Father. You name one time that Jesus' cup got full of wrath and he went to beat people up. The closest thing you can find is when he turns over tables and drives people out of the, and the people that he drove out were not sons and daughters. The people that he drove out were trying to sell the goods of the kingdom instead of know that it's already given. And he flipped over their money tables. Whole lot of money tables, I mean for $100, I'll send you a prayer cloth. You can come here, the biggest preacher in the world tonight, if you pay your $150 for your ticket. And and Jesus is really ready to turn those money tables over, too. That's not trust, and that certainly is not kingdom. That's called business. And if you have something to sell, you probably stole it. (laughs) Jesus didn't look like that. When they brought sinners to Jesus, what did he say to them? All the time, every time. He went about healing good, or healing, or doing good, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's what he did. If they came to him and said, "Lord, heal me," he never said to them, man, you should have got me last Sunday. I was really anointed then. There was anointing for healing on me last week." But I don't know right now. I don't know. Let's see. Let's get some. Let's get some songs, guys. Get, get a couple of fast ones and get that real slow, and everybody cries, and they'll see if I can heal them then. No. Out of his nature and out of his character, not not necessarily in the temple, but everywhere he went went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of them. Now, if he's the blueprint, does that not say something about what we should be doing as sons and daughters? The problem with us not doing this as sons and daughters is because we don't know who we are. And we've reduced the experience of Christian life to coming to church for a few hours on Sundays, trying to be a good old boy, and, you know, don't do real bad stuff and pay your taxes on time and all that stuff. We've, we've actually even confused Christianity with Americanism, which is the biggest joke in the history of man, and God loves America, but Christianity is not Americanism. Americanism is not Christianity. And I learned that when I was 20 because I, lived in a, I went to a place for three months in India and they didn't even know anything about America. And God loved them just like he loved us. Do I think God loves America? Absolutely. Do I think he's for America? Absolutely. I also think he's for Iraq. I also think he's for Saudi Arabia. I think God's for Russia. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Well, what are, well, what are you defined by? You're, you limit yourself where you're willing to, divide, to, to create a dividing line. Whatever that dividing line is. Jesus didn't create one. It didn't matter if they were drunks, harlots, church teachers. Most of the church teachers that really knew he was telling the truth, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a thing to do with Jesus in the day, but they'd always seek him out at night. You'd be surprised how many people reach out to me that they'll never let my name be posted anywhere near their name, but they're asking me questions. You'll be surprised at how many people act like they really don't want to hear anything we got to say, but let them go through a crisis, and I can guarantee you I'm going to be one of the top five they call. They're always going to seek him out at night. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Some of you are mad at me because I said Jesus, Jesus wasn't even American. You say that in some churches and I can guarantee you they will carry you out of the church building. He wasn't American. God's not American. God's God. God does not exist inside of America. America and all other nations of the earth... You know what, I've actually asked God for the nations. Did you know the Bible says that God would give you the nations for your inheritance? Do you actually think that if you're going to equate Christianity and, and, and being godly with Americanism and you're going to other countries, you're going to be in any way successful? One of the, one of the things that happened to me, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I, I'm coming to an end. I went The first year that I went, I was, uh, had just turned 20 with Bishop Johnson to India, and we were in the... Um, Uh, the compound there in Hyderabad, India. Now, this is where we would meet, and then from there we would go out into what they called the bush. And it was literally the bush. I've slept in tunnels and caves and tents and a place called the Carunia Hospital, which I don't know how it got called a hospital because there ain't a nurse in this church that would even step foot in that place. It was disgusting. In fact, one night from the Carunia Hospital, they came and asked us to come several hours away to pray for a boy who had been bitten by a cobra, and by the time we got there, he had died. And I didn't have faith at that time to say, get up off of that, get up off of that stone slab that you're laying on because that's what he was. His body was swollen up. His mother was sitting on the stairs crying. They had torches around him, and I didn't know what, as a 20-year-old, I was looking at. We sat down in the, in the compound and it, it, everything in India and apparently a lot, of, a lot of, uh, of Asian countries is rice. I saw so much rice. Oh my God. Rice for, rice for breakfast and rice for, if you had lunch, rice for lunch. This is now where we're in the compound and they take care of us. When we're out in the bush, you just eat when you can. I took a bunch, I learned the second year, I took like, I think one suitcase was crackers and peanut butter. I'm not kidding. You remember that, Elizabeth? Second year, I mean, like one whole 70-pound Back then, you get two 70-pound suitcases, and you had to pay for them. They were free on Delta. So I took a whole thing of, of peanut butter crackers. I wound up giving them away, so I still lost. I went over there at 100 and about 75 pounds and came back at 132. You can see the pictures of me. I mean, I looked like an Indian because I got really tan, and I was little when I got back. We sat at the table to eat, and they give us rice, and they give us chicken, and Bishop Johnson sitting beside me, and there's a table full of Indians. Well, the first mistake I made was is uh, I started eating with a fork. They offered me a fork. I mean, that's what I was. That's what I knew. And he reached over to me in my ear. Now, this man's in his late 60s, had been in ministry now for probably 35 or 40 years, um, and, and was an elder over there. Everywhere we went, there was a billboard of his face. He was in India a lot like what Bonky was to Africa. I mean, he, I, he was more well-known than I knew, preached to millions of people, and had millions converted in his ministry. And he said, uh, when I come to India, I find they listen to me better when I'm an Indian. Put the fork down. <laughs> you know, because I, I had a real teacher, and he knew I wasn't going to be offended like a lot of people would be today. You tell people that today, they're ready to hit their, or give me a flight back home. He said, put the fork down. Said, yes, sir. So I put the fork down. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm watching how they're doing. And what they do is they, they scoop the food, and then they take their thumb and put the food. I, I taught Jacob in 2016, and then when they put the food in their mouth like this. You know, scoop the rice, put it in the mouth like So here's what I do. I sit at the table. Boom. And this is exactly what I'm doing. And a rumbling of laughter starts to gather around the table. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, I'm, I'm like, man, I know that I've got this down. Scoop it, shovel it, scoop it, shovel it. And they're laughing. And finally, he reached over and he said, use your right hand, dummy. He's, use your right hand, dummy. And I'm like, what? He said, I'll tell you later. I found out later that's because in that culture, they wipe with their left hand. You never shake a man's hand with your left hand in India. And you sure as heck don't eat with your left hand in India. Can you imagine what they thought I was shoveling into my mouth? You would talk about somebody being full of. <laughs> yeah, they're, so you're all laughing. They were laughing. I'm like, great, and he loved it. Bishop Johnson loved it because it made me look like an idiot, which I was. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I learned while I was over there, I learned to eat like them. So and during my days when they did, I did not want to go to the pastor conferences because most of it was people that called themselves pastors and prophets trying to teach people how to speak in tongues, which you cannot do, and all this kind of w- weird stuff. I'm like, man, you're just killing people. Get out of here. Let me go visit the country. You don't teach that. That's given. If the Holy Spirit wants you to do that, he'll do it. If anybody ever gets something free says, say this with me, tell them, you look dumb, you look dumb, you look dumb, and walk away. That's not the Holy Spirit does not need their help to teach you to babble like a baby. That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. In fact, it was when I was praying that people would not be offended and afraid when that was happening at one of these events that all of a sudden I was given a prayer language. I'll never forget it. It with Bishop Johnson in India. Somebody's loose, just say like this bah, 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 bah. I, take out your phone and put it on, put it on TikTok. You want to talk about some followers. You don't know what TikTok is. The kids knew what TikTok was. Mark. Put it on Instagram. And see somebody going. Pearl, repeat after me. You look stupid. Holy Spirit doesn't need that stuff. So I would go out in the community, and I'd take a video camera and in a in a in a, a, a still shot camera because back then you didn't have phones where everything was built in. You know, you can buy an iPhone and it's better than anything I ever used. The video camera alone was like ten or twelve thousand dollars that we took, and the still shot camera back then was about three grand. So I'm walking around with fourteen grand all of which you'll have on an iPhone today. And I'm taking pictures and stuff because I'm learning to become an Indian because I know if I'm an Indian, and they love me over there, not because I'm some great, wonderful thing. It's because when I'm there, there's no distinction. That's how it was with Jesus. He came into his own, his own, but as many as received him, And how did he come? Did he come as this glow-in-the-dark guy that floated across? No, he came as a man, and he taught them how to live as a man. And, And the way that you live as a man is you live in perfect communion with the Father and perfect relationship with all your brothers and sisters. And the only people Jesus ever had a problem with were religious hypocrites who tried to impose unbelievable ridiculousness on people, and it was stuff they didn't even keep themselves. He was not just the Word of God, not just the logos. He was the perfect, not just the perfect expression, the perfect blueprint. He didn't come just to show us what Father was like. He came to show us what we're supposed to be like. Full of grace and truth. Are you full of grace? I'm finishing. I'm closing. Are you full of grace? Are you full of truth? If you look in the mirror and say something negative about yourself every day, you're not full of truth. That's the lie. Are you full of grace? Do you give undeserved favor? We can judge each other real quick. Going to the parking lot when we're shopping, I can tell you whether you're walking in unmerited favor or not. And sometimes this guy right here misses it. You let somebody steal my parking spot that God had for me, ordained for me from the foundations of the earth, and I'm pulling in, and that's my parking spot. And somebody else whips in the place. You'll, I'm trying to tell you, you'll see real quick. You know, I'll start that. Jesus was not just the perfect expression of the Father. He was a perfect expression of the Son. He was very God, but He was also very man. He was every bit God, and yet He was every bit man. I heard Bill Johnson say one time that I thought I loved. He said everything that Jesus did in the miraculous, He didn't do as God, but He did it as a Son in a right relationship with the Father. That's how He was the blueprint. He would say, boys... This is how you do it. This is what it looks like. And most of the time, Jesus didn't even make a name for himself. In fact, most of the time he would say, Don't tell him who I am. Don't tell him who I am. Don't tell him what I do. He would sneak away from big crowds. We do our best to try to get big crowds. Jesus would do his best to get away from them. Why? Because what he really cared about was being in the presence of Father. And when he spent time in the presence of the Father, when he came out, he had something to say because he is the word. The amazing incarnation, God wrapped in flesh. The perfect expression of everything God wanted to say in human form. And for three and a half years, we got to hear about everything that God wanted to say. And now that it's, it's written down and translated throughout the ages. Thank God for all that. I love the King James. I love the NIV. I love, I love all the, I love the passion, which is a relatively new translation. Man, it's it just it's, because it speaks to our culture. I love all of it. But the Bible is is the written copy of the Word, which is Jesus. In the beginning was not the Bible, but in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The expression was God. The blueprint was God, which means you have in your DNA divinity. Josh, how do you do miracles? What's the pattern? What's the formula? Formulas Formulas are for babies. There's no formula, there's no pattern. You allow the divine DNA that you've been endowed with by the Holy Spirit to manifest. That's how people get healed from sick, that's how the miraculous happens. It's very simple. It's not because an anointed preacher comes and gives you a prayer cloth that you paid 100 bucks for and puts his hand on your head and you receive some magical ability to make people well. No, it's from the divine enabling that you receive as sons and daughters of God. You have a part of your new covenant DNA, the ability and also the response ability to heal all those that are broken around you. I've seen, look, you can say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you've been wrong before. I've se- I have seen it. I have seen undeniable miracles that, that I would have told you before. I believed in, but I, I've seen them. You've come way too late, and I've seen plenty of them. And 2016 was one of the last uh, creative miracles that I saw. A completely deaf boy chases me and Jacob with his friends outside the church where I just preached in India. I was exhausted and said, it says, my friend wants you to pray for him. He's deaf. And Jacob gets my iPad and does this. I got to see this. Because he hadn't seen a, a miracle by him before, and I put my fingers in his hands, and I said, "God's going to tell him. God's going to unstop his ears. He's going to open them up." Because I want to go home and get some rest. I prayed for him. I backed up. I said, "I'm going to snap my finger. Closure. I said, close his right ear. When he hears my snap, tell him, tell him to raise his hand." And I backed off, probably from here to Jacob's drums, and I did this. his Real crazy. And then I said, "Now tell him to put his hand on." His, uh, he wigged out, and then he did the same thing with the other. Boom. God opened it. And it was not in a church service. There was not no praise and worship. And what they did would not be what's considered what we would like in praise and worship. You know, it's a whole lot. It's a bunch of singers out of tune with the one little drum that they mic, and he plays with his fingers. And yet God healed him, just like that. And my son got to not only see it, but video it on his iPad. Why? Because I was special? No. Because I was anointed? No. Why? Because I allowed the divine DNA that I received as a son of God to be manifested. That was the purpose that I went over there for. You have that same thing. Every one of you. Well, you don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did. and I don't even want to know. Don't text me about it this week. You deal with that yourself. What you are is sons and daughters of God. What you are is, or what you have is a pattern. You have a blueprint. And you can read about the blueprint in the Bible. I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm for the Bible. But the Bible's not God. The Word is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So He's the blueprint. So who are you healing? Who are you going about doing good and healing? What if that's not just an ability, but a responsibility? What if he's not just what God looked like, but what you're supposed to look like? That's the case. That is the case. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the expression. Thank you that in your divine wisdom, you knew that we were going to need not just words, but an example. A blueprint, a pattern to follow after. Thank you that you came and wrapped yourself in the divine incarnation in human flesh and taught us the light was born in darkness. The bread from heaven would go hungry. What a word. That the healer would be smitten. That the one who pronounced life and gave life and from whose bosom came life would experience death. But you experienced that so that you could give life to all of those of us who have lived under the human system and have to experience death. I thank you that death did not swallow you up, but you swallowed up death and victory. And then you stood over your fallen victim and said, grave, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? I thank you for that. I thank you for uh, people that, uh, that are beginning to arise and understand that there's a whole lot more to this life than getting saved 500 times. But that we are to be empowered with your spirit so that we can impact everywhere that we go f- for, your, for your kingdom's sake. That we can be living examples. That as you were a blueprint for us that our lives will become a blueprint for the generations that are to follow. I thank you for those fathers and those that have been blueprints to me. I thank you for my father, Tony Bunton. I thank you for Charles Johnson, Sidney Smith, Kelly Varner, Jesse Slade, Jim Angle. All those that came before, Lord, and and were a blueprint to Paul Adams, were a blueprint to to me so that I could see. Pray that our lives would become a blueprint for the generations to follow. That we would pass our divine heritage on to the next generation and that we would not leave it to the next generation to discover for themselves, Lord, but that we would teach them by example what it is to be sons and daughters of God. I thank you for this time that we celebrate your birth. Not just your birth as a natural happening, but your birth in your people. I pray that we live anew in the revelation that the divine incarnation was more than just God come in the flesh. But it was God giving us a perfect expression of himself and a perfect expression and blueprint of what we are to be like. Help us to run our race well. Help us to remember in this season that it's not about stuff. That this season is about you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The divine incarnation. Thank you for bearing with me this morning.